Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Sorry, you're gonna have to give me one second. Rolling, take one. You guys, I'm really trying. I, I don't. Is it going to be all right? Hello and welcome to All Through a Land. This is a podcast about film photography where we discuss a little more than just film photography. I'm Vanya. And I'm Eric. We've got a fairly unique show for you today. We'll be talking with Liz Potter, not about Polaroid lifts, as one might suspect, but about the photos she takes while camping solo. Along with that, we'll look into how photographers camped out in the olden days and if their experiences then compared to ours now. How do they? We'll also have some zine reviews, some answering machine stuff, and uh, maybe something on tintypes. But first, Vanya. Yes? How have you been? Oh, I've been just quite well, I guess. <laughs> Pretty busy. Quite well. Um, I, I have a pop-up shop coming up on the 9th. Okay. Uh, kind of local, so I'm kind of trying to come up with some stuff, like fun stuff to... I don't know, have available postcards, cyanotypes, uh, darkroom prints, things like that. But yeah, darkroom prints. Every single one of my prints has like a piece of lint on it. I am tr- <laughs> oh, I'm totally psychotic, but I'm super excited because Liz is coming and I will be picking her brain about what she does. Uh, yeah yeah because she i know she you know touches them up and i do have some old ink uh for touch up but i feel like i should just probably get some new bottles of that stuff um so speaking of darkroom also kind of have some ideas um it's really like it's in my driveway (laughs) It's very like meth labby um (laughs) (laughs) because i have these uh kind of like insulation we're plumbers i have this like insulation on the window so it's kind of silver so it looks like a meth lab it looks awful and i've decided that it needs to not look like a meth lab anymore (laughs) it needs to look somewhat decent so um i got some samples for some like roll down shades that are supposedly blackout um so those are coming in i'm really excited about because it would be really nice to actually open it up and have the windows open when i'm not using it as a dark room and then even possibly have a little space in the corner to um do portraits so eventually it being mobile (laughs) and like me going somewhere with the damn thing eventually (laughs) so we'll see lots of damn projects i mean you guys probably saw my story i have the the water housing i'll talk a little bit more about that because i think i'll be working on that soon and uh yeah just lots of stupid projects lots of stupid projects (laughs) what a what a life Well, work too, and taxes, and evil, and school. But we'll get into all of that later. Will we? We have a, a bit of tax segment now. Uh, I hope so, Eric. What? Please tell us what the hell you've been up to. Well, I think the last time we all got together for this little podcast thing, I think I was talking about taking my first trip out to Eastern Washington. Mm. I don't even know if I knew what I was doing at that point, like where I was going or whatever. Now, by the time it was released, all of that information had already happened. But since then, I I took a bunch of pictures while I was there. I shared maybe a couple of them on my feed, and I'll share a few more. What cameras did you bring? 
Well, I brought the speed graphic, which has the the um, the focal plane shutter in it. And I got that because I have like a really fun old brass lens that doesn't have a shutter in it. So I can use those Ooh. old lenses in this. Yeah, yeah, clever as hell. I'm bulky and weird thing to, to hike with, but whatever. And I took the uh, the Graflex 2.3 and a Brownie box camera. So I, I shot, I don't know, seven rolls, maybe. I think it was seven. Mm, that's some pretty color. Good. Pretty good day. Uh, yeah, and 26 sheets and two glass plates. Jeez, and you carried all that stuff in a bag? In a backpack. Wow. How many miles? How many steps? I don't know how many steps, but I did eight miles, though it was rough. (laughs) It was really rough. I'm out of shape as hell. (laughs) How was the weather? Um, It was was, uh, mercifully cool. I guess that's better than mercifully hot. No, it was it was really nice and cool. I think it, maybe the high temperature was maybe 50, 55. Ooh. So I was able to, well, no, that was fine. It's good hiking weather. I was able to keep cool the entire that time. That hurts my ears. It, it hurts your my, ears? Yeah, it hurts my ears. What hurt? Wow. What hurts your ears? The cold weather hurts my ears. I need muffs. <laughs> well, I had a hat on. I guess. I always have I my know. head covered. Yeah, you're right. He's constantly wearing a beanie. It's true. I am. So all of those pictures, or most of them, well, many of them, let's put it that way. I saw, uh, I've seen a bunch of you, them. They're you've seen, yeah. Really you've... impressive for your first, like, big trip out there, honestly. Yeah, thank you. So I decided to make a zine out of them. And that zine- Why for, not? For, for Why not, you know? For patrons, that zine will already be released probably by the time you're hearing this, if not a, a couple days later. Neat. And then for everybody else, it'll be a week. But um, yeah, so it won't be by this time. I think I'm, I'll mention it again in Dev Party or something. But that's what I did. I decided to do a day trip with one quick burst of shooting and then make a zine out of it. Love it. It's wonderful. Why not? Each episode, we put on our house slippers and cozy cardigans, check our answering machine, because that's what you do Is it? <laughs> uh, during an analog podcast. Why not? Why not? So we ask our listeners, or we always ask, we ask so much of them, to call in and leave us a message answering whatever weird-ass question we come up with, and Eric is going to tell us what that question was. Well, the question was, what non-photography things do you pack in your camera bag? We had Extra point for weirdness. Well, extra mm. points for weirdness. I'm not, sure there's, I'm not really sure what the scoring is. Is there scoring? I don't. <laughs> yes. Yes, there is. Okay. Everybody We're will gonna be keep scored. Score. Let's do it. Yes, everybody will be scored today. Can I push the button? Um, and do I get a score for that? No, we don't, we're not eligible. I know. It's sad. So, yes, you can push the button. Nobody's home. Nobody's home. If you will leave your name and number at the sound, I'll get right back to you as soon as I'm around. And if you do, my word is true. I'll get in touch with you. Hi, Vanya and Eric. Well, because I am old, I have always in my bag a jar of ibuprofen for all those aches and pains. 
often caused by having too many cameras in my camera bag and hurting my neck. Uh, oh yeah, I also always carry some antacids because uh, foods disagree with me these days. Um, the perils of getting old. Mm. Yeah. Foods always disagree with me. I had a bottle of Mylanta in my high school backpack forever. <laughs> I love food so much. I wish it would just love me back. I know. It doesn't. It hates me. But yeah, Advil anti-acids. Jayabot will be invited to every single one of my trips because I will use his Advil and his anti-acids. Why, why can't you just bring your own? <laughs> I do. Well, Sometimes. No, we've been... <laughs> Okay, I bring so many pens, I end up always stealing Eric's pen. But also, you guys, Eric has really good pens. I, I don't even use pens anymore. Are you trying to make sure, like, oh, I yeah. don't steal your pens anymore? No, nobody's stealing Damn, my pens anymore. Yeah. that's so cold. Sorry. Sorry. A uh, tip about having your pens not stolen, keep the cap. If you mm. give somebody a pen, make sure that you keep the cap. They Ooh. will not steal it if they can't cap it. Hmm, I didn't advice. think of that. Yeah. How many points does Jaya get? Two points. Two, two points. Two points for Jaya. Okay. All right. I usually keep a bunch of functional stuff like cough drops, some extra cigarette papers, uh, or even like a mask, even though I'll be out in the middle of nowhere. It's really helpful when it's windy for the sinuses. For that same reason, it's good to have some kind of protection depending on where you are, maybe pepper spray or what have you, whatever's appropriate. Um, but I also keep uh, a lot of sentimental things like little Japanese trinkets, uh, uh, Shinto Omomori that I got for my trip, and perhaps most importantly, a tiny little book by Albert Camus called Create Dangerously. I recommend you take a look. It takes less than 20 minutes to read it. That's a lot. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it's I mean, perfect. I'm not, nothing's wrong with it, but it is a lot of extra things to carry. Not really. All those things are really small. Book, mask, meds sentimental stuff yeah i guess it's still a lot i mean i guess it depends on like how much camera stuff you're carrying mm -hmm. like if it's only so. like a you know another lens or something and you have like a backpack full of albert camus books then... i mean say says the guy that's carrying around a graphlex with a brass lens on it yeah okay. oh no no i'm not saying lighten up <laughs> i'm just saying it's a lot of extra stuff Nothing it is, but it. it's there's something important about having sentimental stuff with you. Do you do? You, I mean, we're going to get into this in, in Dev Party, obviously. But do you carry sentimental stuff with you? Oh God, yeah. Do you? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I always I have do. like bugs and jars and like weird things like that too. Do you still have? Yes. You do. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm going to say? It's, yeah, uh, it is in a 35 millimeter container oh, wow. inside the middle divider of my Sprinter. It's been there since I went to Kansas like two or three years ago with you. Kansas, you and sure? It, yes, it was in Kansas. It was at that lake where we stayed the night with Anne. Oh, I miss Anne so much, no, by the way. Uh, wasn't it from Yellowstone the year before? No, this is the cicada shell. Not the cicada shell. Oh, you mean the uh, June bug? Not the June bug. How many, do, we, do we just collect insects? Is that what we do? I do. I have a June bug and I have a cicada like shell. No, no. I'm talking about the, uh, what is it? The, the, the cereal. Oh, no. It's, I don't know where it's, where it went. I think it's just, 
I think I got my car cleaned and someone like pulled the ashtray out and cleaned it. Oh, that's so sad. I know. It was a piece of um app like fake Applejack cereal. No, no, you, it was it was um cinnamon apple something. No, no, it was like a, it was one of those like healthy cereals, like the big chunky like it, it was like a, or something. I don't, what was it? What are they called? It was a, like a little square, it was circular a square, like thing. Like, it was like it looked thingy. Yeah, it looked like mud. Yes. Like if you put mud into a square and put a hole in it, that's the cereal yeah. that I was eating. Yeah, it was disgusting. It was wonderful. It was very, very good. Well, you drop. Okay, so he just comes in my car with the cereal and just like makes a mess of the place. Mm -hmm, and true. so I was like picking up cereal bits, and I like had that in my ashtray and so i would take a picture and be like hey your fucking trash is still in here for like two years <laughs> oh yeah yeah but you saw the cicada so that's maybe the cicada ate it maybe maybe probably fucking cicadas hi this is steven i'm negative.reinforcement.sm on instagram um i like to carry a um multi-tool um, or a Leatherman with me in my backpack um, because I bike around a lot when I'm shooting and uh, it's nice to be able to fix your bike or if you're ever in a tight spot you can MacGyver yourself out of the situation so um, love the podcast um, take care bye-bye it's just practical yeah, I yeah. love Leathermans. I love multi-tools something that's a tool but it's like multiple things Ugh. The best. I always lose them. There's like five of them in my car, but they're in there somewhere. <laughs> Probably with my cereal. Yep. Uh, backing up a bit, we didn't score Robert. How many points for Robert? Three. Three? Just three? Yeah. Yeah, he had an Albert Camus book. Okay, four. Fine, All four. Right, fucking four. And then Steven? That's hard because multi-tool is like everything. And I could tell that he probably gets himself out of any sort of circumstance with that thing so or is he just is he, is he like a jeep guy who just like has a jeep but never uses it no he's no? definitely Steven's not a jeep not that? guy okay cool steve would never be that person <laughs> it's good to know it's good to know that about steven okay so how many points for steven i'm gonna say three just because he didn't add the sentimental stuff so. okay and we're still sticking with two points for jaya all right sorry jaya this is a very unfair podcast for you. Hey there, Eric and Vanya. Uh, David Ortega here. Currently Minu Pingu. I used to be Curly Pingling. Um, but yeah, in one of my camera bags, I kind of randomly have a, a pair of chopsticks that my wife put in there back when we were dating. Um, and then just boring stuff like allergy medicine and spare batteries. Yeah, that's... That's sentimental stuff. Undercover sweetness. Oh my God, it's adorable. Now, I don't know why she put them in there, but I'm going to pretend that it was some sort of joke that they had, like an inside joke that they had. They each, they, they kept hiding chopsticks in places and this was the last place they were. And, and uh, he's just left them in there because he can't bear to say goodbye to the chopsticks. It's adorable. It's very adorable. And I'm probably putting a little bit of myself into this story, but that's okay too. <laughs> How many points for David? Oh, the chopstick story is so good. It is. It's really sweet. I don't even know what our scale is. Oh, no, like, it's is fine. Is it one to... Okay. Five. Five. Okay. All right. Wow, yeah. David, you... Uh, it, it makes no sense, but you it's are... It's for love. <laughs> extra points for weirdness and love is weird. So, okay. Fair enough. Hey, guys. I always have a tin whistle 
in my bag when I go out to shoot film in case I get the urge to play it, which almost never happens. Wait, that's not him, was it? Yeah, it was him. No way. Yeah. 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 Mine. You, it was. It was him. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. It's. It's. It is. It is amazing. Um, <laughs> I. I don't. I don't know what to say. Oh my god, I want to like take my shoes off, have a cape, be like a hobbit, and just like be skipping like behind them, just all yes. Where are we going? We're leaving the Shire. Where are we going? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um. I love music. And that's like, that was amazing. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Thank you, Jason. <laughs> How many points for Jason? It was so unique. I'm going to give him five, too. <laughs> five. Wow. You're up there with chopsticks, Jason. This is amazing. <laughs> I mean, tin whistle. Come on. When I'm doing a lot of night photography, I always make sure to have a flashlight, especially if I'm out in like the wilderness and it's pitch black. My phone light just isn't bright enough, so I always carry like one of those pocket mag light and they come really handy. And then in the summer, always bug spray or like a bug net. And if I'm out somewhere new and I don't know if there will be cell coverage or not, always like a printed map or something. That's like one of my worst fears getting lost. And then in the winter, I always have extra socks and a hand warmer. And as Canadians call it, a toque. Full of a toque. <laughs> well, it's practical. Everything here is practical. Everything has a reason and a place. Yes. And there may be other ways of doing this, but this is great. I, I dig it all. Flashlight, bug spray, a printed map. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm, I'm actually surprised that the printed map is also like not like a warming blanket as well. That's. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we don't know. We don't it know that. Be. And I do appreciate calling them toques. That makes me very happy. I don't know what a toque is still. Oh, is it, it's this. It's a it's a beanie. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. Hmm. Yep. How many points for Ariella? Uh, okay. I mean, she she brings a lot of stuff. She, yeah, but it's all like, none of it is sentimental. I mean, sure, the flashlight could be, you'd be like, oh, it's my grandfather's flashlight or something. But no, I don't think so. This is all practical stuff. Ugh. I don't want to do it. You, you, you do it. Oh, man. Well, there wasn't anything weird, but isn't that weird? That's weird in and of itself. Four points, I think. I think we'll go right. with four. I think four, four is good. Yeah, it's a, it's a, Nice showing. <laughs> Hi, Marius here. Um, so I just looked in my bag and apparently I bring sweets besides my photography stuff. Specifically, um, some mint chocolate bonbons. Simon the bonbons. Mm. I could go for a, for a, a bonbon, I suppose. <laughs> I mean, it's chocolate. I'm, I'm, down. I'm a snack guy or a snack person. One of my friends, she has like two kids. They would come down to the beach and like come hang out in my van. And I'm like, you guys want some snacks? And they're like, yeah. So I'd like, you know, just have snacks. It just, it's fun. 
yeah. having s- sweets and little treats and snacks for, for everybody. So Sweeties and treaties. That's, I mean, what more can you ask for? Really? <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's very simple. It's simple, uh, yeah. but sweet. <laughs> it's sweet and simple. Sweet and uh-huh. simple. How many points for Marius? Three. Three points. Okay, and it looks like their judges have, have come back and have delivered three points to Jayabat. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. I didn't even know we were keeping track, but holy shit, there we go. It's a rigged election. It, it, it is. It's, been, it's printed on bamboo. <laughs> um, it absolutely is. All right, and for our final. Hi, Eric and Vanya. The non-photography thing I pack in my camera bag is Reese's Pieces, which is primarily for that little energy boost when you're out uh, making photos. But I suppose it may come in handy if I ever needed to befriend an extraterrestrial. When I first listen to these, I'm taking notes as I go, mm-hmm. right? And he starts talking about Reese's Pieces and he says, for energy, and I write for energy and E.T., and then he says the extraterrestrial thing. And I'm like, oh shit, man. Billy and I are like on the same wavelength. We, yeah. So when I was a kid, we went camping. We went camping a lot. I'm sure I've talked about it. So we had, this was right after E.T. came out. Probably it came out on video, you know, probably 83, 84. Okay. Somewhere in there. And it was an 82, I think the movie came out in 82, but mm-hmm. I think it was somewhere after that. So we were at a campsite and we had Reese's Pieces because mm-hmm. we did. And we went for like a walk at night or maybe went to like some of the camp places, camp like state parks we camped at had movies, like nature movies they'd play. Oh yeah, like on a Saturday. Yeah. So we went to one of those and we came back and something had taken our Reese's Pieces and eaten most of them and strewn the rest all over the picnic table and the ground. And I don't know. It was definitely an alien. But I'm pretty sure. I'm not I'm not saying it was ET, but it was ET. <laughs> Wonderful. So, how many points for Billy? Because he added ET in there, we can't do peanuts at my house. So I'm kind of biased on that. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Big peanut. <laughs> Man. Billy, you're, you're I've grown to like dislike it now. The taste of it, which is unfortunate. But almond butter is delicious, so almond is my new peanut. <laughs> okay, so how many points for Billy? 3.5. 3.5, okay. <laughs> this makes a tie score between David and Jason at five points. Thank you, everybody, for playing. Ooh, okay, you know uh, what? Uh, I think what needs to do is there needs to be a face-off where no, he plays think... the chopsticks and Jason plays the tin whistle. <laughs> And we'll see who wins. <laughs> there's there's absolutely every reason in the world to keep this bit going. Absolutely, we should do this. Thank you, everybody, for calling. Our question for next episode is... What has convinced you that you have taken a good photo? What is it? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, if, you guys, if you guys figure it out, let me know. Okay, so before we get into the rest of the episode, I kind of want to take this little spot, and chill out a little bit. So I decided I thought we I thought we would um, 
talk to Vanya a little bit about something that I noticed that was going on in, in her life this past week. Oh. Yeah, you sent me a photo of a, a photo and okay. it didn't look like a normal photo. It was, <laughs> it was backwards, a little foggy. It was kind of brownish. Hmm. What's going on? What are you doing? I am fucking around <laughs> with tintypes. Oh, well, th- what, you're fucking around with tintypes. Yeah. Um, I had some some uh, wet plate stuff delivered to me actually a while a while back, mm-hmm. and I was kind of trying to wait for a good time to to open it up because I just don't want to waste it. This was premix stuff, uh, which is. Kind of a bad choice, honestly. I want to learn how to mix my own batches, so then I'm a little bit more, um, I guess, well versed in all this fun stuff. Yeah. Uh, but I was like, "What am I waiting for? I need to just start practicing and doing it." So uh, my friend came over, and I was like, "Hey, let me take some pictures of you," and she's like, "Let's do it." So. I did. I I poured a couple plates and it was a very sunny day. So I just shot them outside, no lights. And then two days later, I went for it again, uh, just in my doorway with one light. Uh, I think I was like, probably like around eight seconds, uh, long exposure. I'm just using the Sentry five by seven, like reducing back on the big camera. And I got my beautiful six point whatever brass lens and I'm just having fun. I'm just kind of enjoying it. I'm I'm having I think Alan come over oh, in a couple days. I'm nice. gonna shoot him, which I'm really excited about. And just practice like I'm just trying to like get it. Just feel good and comfortable and then also to kind of train myself in a routine on how I want this to go, you know, as far sure. as like making good, like good habits, wearing gloves, <laughs> yeah. having like paper towels, like having everything where it needs to be and everything placed where it should go every time. Okay. A lot of what you said about the tintypes probably went over a lot of folks' heads because they have no frame of reference. So you want to take a tintype. I'm going to take a picture using tin. What do you, how do, how do you make tin photosensitive? What, how does that even work? So if you've never done it before, I would say if you know someone <laughs> that has done this, I would watch them and they can kind of show you like the important parts of the process because it is like really dangerous, of course. What if they don't want to do it? What, do they, what, what if they just want to know how it's done? Uh, watch a YouTube video. <laughs> What, or, you want me to explain or it? Or listen to you talk about it, maybe. I guess, yeah. Okay, well, basically, like, you have a salted collodion, and um, a lot of people, what they do is order from a trophy place, like, tin plates. Okay. So, it's silver tin on one side, and then it's, like, that black where a lot of people engrave, like, people's names, you know. So, you can get it cut in any size you'd like. You, or you could get them in bigger sheets and cut them down yourself. That's like the cheapest way possible. So what you end up doing is you getting, you know, you, you have this tin, you cut up into whatever size you have. I have five by seven and four by five. So I have those pieces cut and it comes with a little piece of plastic on there. You peel it off right before you pour 
the collodion on the plate. And the collodion is the emulsion? Yes. And you can actually do that in the daylight. It is not photosensitive until you put it in the silver bath. The one thing I will say is really like nerve wracking in the beginning is just pouring a plate and looking at my plates and seeing the progression of like, okay, I think I'm getting it. (laughs) (laughs) Like how much to pour and how fast to go and just making sure, you know, it's, I think it's going to take a lot of time and they're not perfect, but I really actually like the imperfections in the plates, like when you have little particulates in the corners and things. So I'm into it. Uh, So yeah, so you sensitize the plate for a minute or two or whatever. I think if you sensitize it longer, it's a little bit more light sensitive. And that's in the Um, silver bath? Yes. Okay. So after it's in there, you have to turn off all the lights and put it in your holder in the dark or red, you know, red light, Mm -hmm. safe light, because now it is photosensitive. Uh-huh. So you put it in your plate holder and have your camera already, I'm assuming, <laughs> because you need to shoot it right away. Uh, because the one thing about wet plate is it needs to stay wet. <laughs> if it dries out, it will uh, get destroyed. So we're talking a matter of minutes here too, right? Yeah. yeah. So what a lot of people do is they coat their plate, they put it in the silver, but like, say you you have your studio set up. Mm-hmm. You have someone sit down. You kind of set it up roughly how you want it. You go sensitize a plate. You put the plate in the silver bath. Then you go back and do the final, like, fine focusing touches and then go back, get the plate, and then and then go take the shot. It's a, it, takes, it takes a minute, but it's, it seems like that is the best way for me. Okay. I'm sure a lot of people do it differently. Sure, sure. And again, I'm. This is all just new to me. I'm not saying that I know <laughs> what I'm doing. I just try to be as careful as possible. But I'm having so much fun. Uh, I recently photographed the big giant uh, Rolly Marine mm-hmm. beast of a camera. <laughs> yeah, and it looks so good. It does. It, it does. It just has like the silvery, silvery quality already. And so then photographing it, I was just like, holy shit, this is like incredible. So, so after you expose the picture, if you take the picture, what do you, how does the, what do you, what do you do then? You have to go back into the dark room, pull the plate out carefully, and then you pour developer on it. Depending on how you want to develop, a lot of people do like a really concentrated. I've been watering mine down a little bit because I want, I I can't really see very well, (laughs) kind of blind. From what I read and what I see, they're like, oh, yeah, it's like, you know, 10, 15 seconds. You can start to see the highlights. I'm like, I can't see shit. Like, I don't know what you guys are seeing. So <laughs> I, I just water it down a little bit. And I've been just um, seeing how it looks on the plate. I'm getting to a point where I feel almost comfortable mm-hmm. with where I need to stop it. <laughs> oh, cool. So probably about like 15, 20, maybe 25 seconds, depending on if I shot it inside or outside. Uh, and then you stop it. With with what? Water. Just water? Just My a water favorite. bath? <laughs> yep, just a water oh. bath. You pour the developer over the, the plate? You don't put a, the plate in the like a tray of developer? No, you pour it on top. Okay. 
I don't, it's a little more expensive. Obviously the mistakes are more expensive to make. So I think I have a little bit of like anxiety or nervousness with that. And I've been trying to just like relax and kind of realize like, look, this isn't like, (laughs) this isn't for a client. Like this is me just trying to kind of get it, feel comfortable doing it. But if you fuck it up, you can reclaim the plate. Yes. Yeah. No, you can't do that with film. True. It's something I've always wanted to do, and I'm finally kind of, like, taking steps towards it. Doesn't mean that I'm going to stop, obviously, like, shooting film. I'm going to shoot film forever, I hope. Um, And from what it looks like, it looks like we're going to have lots of film. (laughs) Lots of color film, anyway. Lots of color film coming out. So (laughs) it's... It's just another part of my passion for old cameras and photography and just how it they're just stunning. It's so beautiful. I would say if you know a place that you could do a workshop, I would suggest doing one. I think it would be a lot of fun. You can meet a lot of really cool people. Um, the place that I was getting my... My premix stuff is UV photographics. It's online. They have premix stuff. They also have raw chemicals and, you know, everything possible. And then, of course, there's like tons of like Facebook groups and things where you can like talk to people and ask them questions of uh, how things are done. You're probably going to get a lot of like dudes in there. (laughs) (laughs) So I haven't actually like really been asking for any help yet. It's just been like exciting. I love it. I'm in, I'm like absolutely in love with this process. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Could we see some of them? Yeah. Of course. Have those up hopefully on the show notes. Oh, also if anybody lives in LA and wants a portrait done, DM me. Do it. Surf Martian. The hope of camping out that comes over one in early spring, the laying of plans and arranging of details is, I sometimes think, even more enjoyable than reality itself. As there is pleasure in this, let me advise you to give a practical turn to your anticipations. Think over and decide whether you will walk, go horseback, sail, camp out in one place, or what you will do. Then learn what you can of the route you propose to go over, or the ground where you intend to camp for the season. If you think of moving through or camping in places unknown to you, it is important to learn whether you can buy provisions and get lodgings along that route. See someone, if you can, who has been where you think of going, and put down in a notebook all he tells you that is important. John M. Gold, How to Camp Out, 1877. We're doing something a little bit different. Instead of just having an interview, we decided to invite a dear friend back to the podcast. You may know her as Liz Potter, the actual Liz Potter. (laughs) You may know her as Liz Potter because she is Liz Potter. Yes. So, hi, Liz. How are you? Hi. I'm great. I'm excited. Nice. To be a part of this. Yeah. It'll be a lot of fun, I think. What we're hoping to do for the next hour or so is kind of talk, all three of us, a little roundtable discussion on the joys and necessities of solo camping and shooting while uh, while camping. Uh, Liz does quite a lot of, of camping. I do quite a lot. And Vanya does quite a lot. All of us generally solo. Yeah. And so to kind of wrap this whole together, um, we're going to be talking... 
or at least referencing a photographer from the 1800s named William Henry Jackson. I'm sure of a lot we are. of of course we are. A lot of people <laughs> probably know who he is. Um, so for those who don't, well, first, I've, Liz, have you ever heard of William Henry Jackson before this? If I have, I probably just forgot. I don't remember stuff like that. That's fair. It's <laughs> <laughs> it's fair. If you, and it's just a name. It's three names. So William Henry Jackson was a painter and photographer from the late 1800s. Following his service for the United States Army in the Civil War, he moved from Vermont to Omaha, Nebraska, opening a photography studio with his brother. In 1869, he procured a commission from the Union Pacific Railroad to photograph with a surveying crew south of Salt Lake City, Utah. While he had photographed uh, for a short time in the studio and I think a little bit out on his own, uh, this was the first time out in the field with a camera and not just with any camera. He decided to take his 8x10 field camera as well as a stereo camera. On his way to the crew, he and his hired assistant, a guy he just refers to as Hull, H-U-L-L, spent some time in Cheyenne, Wyoming, making some money taking photos of businesses and selling them back to their owners, and also taking pictures of the girls at Madame Cleveland's place. And he didn't really specify what exactly that was. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so that brings us up to where we begin. And what we're doing, well, what I'll be doing is, is I'll be reading, I guess, unpublished diaries, using little points that he makes along the way for us to break off and talk about solo shooting and camping. We'll be starting in, I think it's 1868 when they arrived at a place called Weber Canyon. And that is, if you're, if you're familiar with the Salt Lake City area, is where I-84 goes through today. Hmm. And so he has this to say about that little, little experience, experience there. This was a period of great experimentation for me. The art of timing exposures was still so uncertain that you prayed every time the lens was uncapped and no picture was a safe bet until the plate had been developed. Working in a fully equipped studio was hazardous enough. Going out in the open meant labor, patience, and the moral stamina, or perhaps sheer phlegmatism, to keep on day after day. In spite of the overexposed and underdeveloped negatives, and without regard to the accidents to the camera and chemicals, Photography was, of course, still in the wet plate stage, and for this trip, I had contrived a portable darkroom. It was a wooden box, 30 by 15 by 15 inches, fitted with pans and trays, and made so that it could be enlarged with a retractable canopy. This case was cumbersome enough to lug around, but it was extremely compact in comparison with my buggy studio that had seemed such an advance barely one year before. Hull and I carried two cameras. The first was a standard 8x10. The other was stereo, with a pair of brass-barreled Willard lenses. It looked like a young cannon. Then, besides the bulky plates, we had a mass of collodions, silver baths, and developers. We may have looked as if we were ready for a picnic, but it wasn't one. So I would like to begin where he begins, essentially talking about equipment. I'm not a gear guy i guess we don't do a lot of gear talk on the podcast well we try not to we try but i think we sneak in some gear talk here and there oh, once in a while we 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 will so we're real, real quickly liz what um what's your your typical photographic gear for uh going out in the field when i go camping yeah generally. uh i usually i've been using my panoramic camera the um noblex 150 medium format because I'm working on that self-portrait project, but 
I've been bringing six by six cameras too sometimes just because um, it's so different. Mm-hmm. No exciting reason. <laughs> I hear that. <laughs> so is there a, a limit to how many cameras or does it matter to you? I think I've gone back and forth. I think um, there was a time last year when I was suddenly collecting all these vintage cameras and I was like, well, I have to bring all of them. So I would bring like seven cameras <laughs> and, you know, the tripod and all that kind of stuff. And then I realized I'm bringing all of those, but I'm really only shooting maybe two or three and probably could cull that even more. And so now I just, I think realistically, like, what what am I really going to be taking pictures of? I don't take a lot of just straight nature photos. I mean, I, I do, but I don't tend to think of those as anything significant, like in my general photography. So, so yeah, now it's pretty much the Noblex and, um, Oh, sometimes I bring my 3D camera, my little oh, right. yeah. uh, Loreo or Lorio. A stereo camera. Um, yeah. It's a stereo camera. Yeah. And um, that's kind of fun, but I sometimes I forget that I have it. <laughs> so. <laughs> so I would like to read a little bit about how he lugged his stuff around. When loaded with chemicals, glass plates, and other requirements, it made a hefty load for two to handle, but easily taken care of when where rail transportation was available. But when this failed, as happened during the course of our work later on, it became a grievous burden to move about. So how do you lug your stuff about, Liz? It kind of depends. Where I camp, the area, like the immediate area, is often so interesting that I don't necessarily have to go long distances. So I've got a kind of a hard case for my Noblex. It's just like, looks like a suitcase. And so I just kind of carry that around. Um, If I'm going to hike anywhere where I really can't just carry it by hand. I've got a really, really big backpack and I put, uh, I strap my tripod to the bottom and I stuff it with cameras and film and, you know, outfits that I might want to put on (laughs) for, for self-portraits and a hat and maybe my boots. And (laughs) so (laughs) it's like a whole outfit. Yeah. It's crazy. So, and then water. Um, but, and I, for my camera so I I can't carry it in the case because that's too big so I kind of made some a cushioned bag that I put it in and so and then I just kind of wrap clothes around it so it's it's not really anything that official I just make sure it's not getting smashed all right we'll move on to another topic uh getting a good night's sleep and he he continues Rested comfortably, considering it was our first night out camping. Got to work early, first doctoring and filtering the sensitizing bath and putting everything in good order. And then in another passage, he says, The nights were invariably cold, cold and pleasant. We slept on the ground with blankets only, but rested well. Cockroaches and ants were altogether too numerous, particularly at night, when they would crawl into our hair and ears as we slept. So, um, no. <laughs> now, uh, that is a good night. Okay. A good night's sleep means you can be up early and shooting, which is kind of the, the whole point of what we're doing. Um, how well do you sleep when alone and in a tent? 
I don't know how to answer that. I sleep <laughs> fairly well. I okay. mean, like normally at home in my bed, I'm like in a coma. So okay. I sleep really well in general. When I camp, um, it kind of depends. Like I've I've been asleep, like sound asleep, and then all of a sudden like crazy wind kicks up and mm. I've just got like the mesh tent. And so, you know, my sleeping bag becomes like a, a wind sock and I'm like, that wakes me up. (laughs) Or like, you know, I'll have to get up and pee. And, um, but I kind of don't mind when I'm camping because it gives me an opportunity to like wake up in the middle of the night and like the stars are out and it's really beautiful and it's like quiet. And I mean, I have scared myself half to death getting up after listening to like Salem's lot on an audio book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe not the best camping book, but <laughs> yeah, that wasn't the best choice. So, um, and I woke up in the middle of the night and I got up to pee and I had my flashlight and I just kind of like, you know, or just around the campsite and I saw eyes that were pretty close and it was very quiet and I never heard any movement I never heard so I don't know what that was I'm guessing it could have been a big cat just because of the quietness and because of how quickly the eyes like flashed away from me and the the vicinity I got in my car (laughs) (laughs) well that's the that's a nice thing about car camping yes is that if you have to bail (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And even like this last trip I went on, I could have pitched my tent, but it was cold and it was pretty windy. And I thought I could snuggle up in my tent and like sleep okay, or I could get my car and like really go to sleep. (laughs) So I just chose my car. (laughs) Now, when you, when you're in your tent, you're, you're generally without the rain fly, right? You're generally just mesh. Oh yeah. I don't use a rain fly. I don't, I need to see what's coming. So that's it, really. If there's like an animal outside, you want to see what it is. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to see what it is. <laughs> oh no, I want to see everything. Plus, like, well, you know, Eric, your your tent's mesh too, so you can like see the stars, and it's like it's so nice. It is. I I, I do. I have the rainfly usually, and I think it's oh. because I don't want to see. <laughs> but then, oh, then no. you're, you're you're left with that like mystery. You hear something huge clopping around. And making like uh-uh. like noises and all that. And like, what the fuck? And then you stick your head out and it's just a deer because deer are the loudest animals in the world. They're so loud. No, I, no, I need to see out. <laughs> Even though I almost burned my tent because like I heard something and I, I have this like tactical flashlight that's like gets really hot, but it's super <laughs> high power. <laughs> I pushed it up against the mesh. <laughs> and like all of a sudden it was kind of smoking and I was like, oh, I'm burning a hole in my tent. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no. I can I can get behind it, but there is a little bit of of I don't know if I want to see. <laughs> That's so funny. And then as far as sleep, it depends on how big the day is, honestly. I think when I switch schedules from just camping and being outdoors to just being at home. I think the first night's always a little off. And then once I get into the groove and I start actually having like fuller days, because even if I'm like traveling and photographing, I'm not going super far, but I've been out like traveling for eight, nine, 10 hours. (laughs) You know, it's a long day. It is, yeah. So I don't like to stay up. I like to go to sleep at a decent time. Yeah. I love sleeping. Sleeping is 
one of my favorite things to do. And then being cozy is like the it has like I need cozy things. I need cozy blankets and like soft things. I don't know. <laughs> it's exciting. I have a a quilt, a sleeping quilt, like a you know, like the camping quilts, the backpacking ones, and an air mattress, little air. Um, I don't know what pad brand it is. Air little pad. Air, air pad. Yeah, little sleeping pad. And that's really all I need. I need a pillow though. I do absolutely need a pillow. Yeah. Um, me too. I used to have a little, I still do have a little inflatable hiking pillow and I would use that when I'm backpacking, which makes sense. You know, it's, it packs down really nice. But when I'm car camping, I realize that like, oh wait, I can carry a full size pillow. Exactly. <laughs> and it's, it's so nice. <laughs> so we'll move on and I'll read. Hull was late getting to our camp as he had brought green coffee the only kind to be had. We had to devise means for reading and grinding it. The first operation was accomplished easily enough, and then he, and then the grinding in primitive fashion with a small cobblestone on a smooth rock surface. All these preliminaries resulted in a very late supper, and we had hardly cleaned up and crawled into our tents when a terrific wind and rainstorm came up the canyon that nearly demolished our frail habitation. So, Coffee is the lifeblood of many travelers and early risers. Do you have coffee-based rituals? Yes. I've gotten pretty lax. Oh. I make coffee before I go, and I just put it in the cooler, and I just get up, and I drink it cold. (laughs) It is purely medicinal for you. (laughs) No, that's really smart. I mean, at home, I I love the coffee ritual, but yeah, camping, nah. It's just like... Give me my coffee and maybe a cookie. Yes. <laughs> Cookies for breakfast is, is a wonderful camping thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have a coffee ritual, obviously. Yes, you do. Yes. And it's all day long, basically. It is, it is an all day long ritual. Yeah, it is essentially <laughs> a, a coffee ceremony for the entire day. Yeah, I really, it 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 is kind of something I really like to do that doesn't harm anybody you know if anything it's it's great because i can get a lot of shit done so (laughs) coffee it up okay we'll move on to another essential food so he says in the rush and confusion of an early morning departure with the great amount of luggage that had to be looked after i neglected getting breakfast expecting an early stop at some lunch station past fremont columbus silver creek all lunch stations without stopping and it was not until we reached Grand Island at 3 p.m. that a halt was made. The dinner, however, was exceptionally good, or seemed so on this occasion. It was placed altogether in generous portions on the table in good country style for everyone to help themselves, and I'm very sure I got the full value for the $1.50 paid. Had a light lunch at 9 p.m. at North Platte, and then after passing the night in the, in the day coach instead of a sleeper, we arrived early the following morning at Cheyenne ready for business. So so food is something we need to survive. What does a typical meal look like for you when you're camping? And do you make lunch stops or eat at restaurants or anything like that? When I think of camping, I think of how much food can I bring and how delicious is it going to be? <laughs> it's almost like 70% of what the camping trip. <laughs> I usually make food in advance. Like I make a really good like vegan mac and cheese and brownies or cookies or make chili and bring some corn chips and make and I build fires so I can heat heat things up on the fire um 
So yeah, I I love the camping food. I also do bring kind of prepackaged food just in case like I don't want to build a fire or if it rains freakishly in the desert <laughs> or <laughs> and I can just make that. But yeah, food's a big part. Yeah. I think for me food is very secondary when I'm traveling just because if it's daylight I'm shooting. Oh, you're hardcore. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I, I stop for lunch and I and I'll eat um, you know, a full well, let's say a full meal, a very unhealthy meal, enough to keep, as they say, <laughs> body and soul together. And, uh, you know, a nice little noon break or whatever, and then go back to shooting. But usually it's like ramen or I have like these little boil in a bag Indian meals and they're very good. But I'm also grazing the entire day on like. Sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Various things. Vanya? So yeah, Eric does snake meal, which is basically he like doesn't eat all day long and then eats one big meal and that's it. I do snake Um, meal. That is true. So that's snake meal. I didn't know that in the very beginning. So the first few days when I think we met up in Kansas, I was like getting grumpy and because I was starving myself because I didn't have snacks. I didn't realize he had like a 10 pound bag of cereal that he was like, like eating in the car because I was by myself in my car. So I was like, hey, like, are we going to like eat like ever? (laughs) Like he just never ate. And I didn't want to be that person that's like, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. But I, oh my gosh. And then I figured out this guy is like, he eats all day long. It isn't snake meal. He still has snake meal, but it's like, he's eating chips and like random stuff throughout the day to kind of like keep him sustained. So I've learned that with him and I've, I've managed to get better, but as far as like food, um, I'm basically like a garbage disposal. I'll eat everything and anything possible. So I think right now in my life, I'm so used to feeding people that when I'm by myself, I will just eat garbage. Like I'll just eat a, a sandwich, a, you know, almond butter jelly sandwich and some chips or like Oh, can like I like to I like eating like canned corn and random things like that because I'm a weirdo. I don't know. It's something that yeah. reminds me of my childhood, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> so I will just like have random stuff. Um, because for the most part, if I'm camping with my family or with Marley, she wants me to make her food or she wants to like have a meal. So any chance I just it's just me. I'm like, not picky. I'll eat whatever. <laughs> yeah. I think the reason I think of camping is like, ooh, it's so fun is because I can eat like total trash. Mm-hmm. So I've got like the meals that are like something I made and that's probably pretty good. But oh, yeah, I'll eat like not Pringles, but like, you know, basically like a whole tube of chips. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yep. Yeah, just driving down the road, they're between my knees, and I'm, like, trying to drive with one hand. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, I I made this, like, new snack that oh, – I love it so much. It, it's – I'm I'm not vegan. I'm vegetarian, so I have I can do the white cheddar popcorn that they have at the um, gas stations because they usually have the white cheddar popcorn and then they have the Chester fries, which is like those like hot fries, and it can't be. Um, Cheetos. It has to be the Chester ones. But if you mix those two together, it is the most amazing thing ever. I like, I discovered that last year. I was like, this is the best thing ever. It's so good. And then I saw that like 
that popcorn company made like a cheddar hot like popcorn, but it's not the same. It's it's got to be those two bags. It just I don't know what it is. So like I have like red dusty like fingers and like cheesy fingers. And I'm like driving in my car like oh nom, nom. like oh god I probably look like a nightmare, but it's totally worth it. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Now we'll move on to things a little more photographic. I think. So we'll talk now first about dust, which is sort of well we're we're all camping. So he says. The weather was hot and sultry. A fine, impalpable dust covered everything with a mantle of gray. Even the sagebrush surrounding us on every side was loaded with it, to shower upon the passerby or to be broadcasted by every gust of wind. So, cameras and dust are a really horrible mix. It was easier back then because you had cameras that didn't really have moving parts. Nothing was geared then, but it is now. So, how do you deal with dust? I don't think very much about it, which I know is like the most terrible answer ever. (laughs) I don't, since I don't load sheet film and stuff, like that's a huge bonus. Um, I don't have to deal with that. I, and the only camera I shoot that has like bellows is my um, Voigtlander. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I haven't really noticed an issue while actually out camping and like loading film. I mean, if it's really windy, I'll just try to shield it. Or if I'm close enough to the car, I'll get in the car. So yeah, it hasn't really been a big, a big issue. Hmm. Yeah. I don't, I don't really care. I think. <laughs> exactly. It's just like dust. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it sucks. It, it gets through the mesh in your, in your, in your tent. And I know if sometimes when it gets really dusty, you feel it in your teeth when you, when you uh, bite down, it's a little bit of mm-hmm. grit there, but I mean, if you get a little bit of dust in your camera and you start moving a lever and you feel a little like crunching, just crunch through it. You'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) Just crunch through it. Just crunch through it. Wow. You just really gained some street cred with me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't, I mean, look, I just don't, uh, I don't pay it much, much attention. Yeah. (laughs) From dust to the kind of the opposite of dust, I guess, which would be rain. Is rain the opposite of dust? We'll say it. Okay. (laughs) So the next morning opened cloudy, but we thought uh, there was a promise of a fair day. So we set up the box and went to work making street views from a number of different points until noon when it began to rain. Showers kept up to intervals, stopping any further work for the afternoon. But just before sundown, there was a downpour that flooded the streets. When it let up, we got out the box and made three or four negatives to show the inundation, getting some very good effects. So the question is, so for many photographers, rain is a deal breaker. They're like fucking baseball players. How do you deal with rain? And you're you're kind of in the desert in Texas, so probably you don't. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much no. Um, I mean, we've got like a monsoon season in the summer that uh, last year it was it was rainy, but the monsoon's really nice because it's not a constant rain like it is yeah. in a lot of places. It's like this burst of rain and it's great. And this like cool air comes in. It's like, ah, oh, this is so nice. So I've never actually been out camping and shooting when it's rained. I've 
it has started raining where I've had to like put my rain fly on or get in the car or something, but it's not, it's not actually when I'm shooting. So mm. yeah, it's not really an issue. Vanya, you're also, you're from LA, so it doesn't rain a whole lot there. <laughs> um, I love rain when it happens. I don't know. Um, it's been a long time since I've had to like live with rain. Uh, so yeah, it doesn't really, it doesn't really affect my shooting very much. I will shoot in the rain. I, it does not matter. I can even technically take, I guess, like a Nikonos out if it's, if That's it's true. really raining that you do have hard and cameras. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I have cameras for, for that. And I would probably just shoot those same with the dust. I think it's maybe part of the trip. So if part of the trip is me documenting my experience, then um, having dusty photos and having a water droplet on my lens is probably uh, part of that experience and it's worth uh, documenting. Yeah. Yeah. I don't let rain stop me. Um, if I did, I wouldn't be able to shoot much in Seattle. So <laughs> if it's, I know there's some photographers here that just won't shoot in the rain and huh. I'm just like, well, what do you, why, what? Like, yeah. okay, maybe don't take like electronic cameras out, I guess. I don't mm -hmm. have a lot of those, so I don't really know. But I take the Mamiya out in the rain, no problem. I have no problem taking four by five out in the rain. If it's pouring, you can't because of just, you know, logistics. But you have a rain jacket, use it. You have a dark cloth <laughs> that's more waterproof than not, use it. So I don't know. Don't be afraid of rain. It's it's it'll be fine. You're you're fine. Stop it. You'll be fine. Be fine. <laughs> <sighs> okay. So another topic that I think is is I think Liz, you were talking to me about this a little bit earlier, and it's scouting. Mm. So he says, after lunch, we walked up the canyon to prospect for a new location, finally reaching the Devil's Gate, some three or four miles from where we started, and saw at once that this was the place trudged back down the track and packed up at once, loading everything on a gravel train that, that was working along the line and were put off at the bridge in time to make camp for the night. So Hull and William had some maps and stories told to them by workers so they could find places, but they also had legs and simply hoofed it around looking for shots. <laughs> uh, since they had huge cameras, they had to scout first and then come back the next day. Liz, how do you find places to photograph? I think in the last year or two, I've become more of a scouting photo person. Mm -hmm. As um, just because I'm, I'm always shooting in this region, so it's not like I'm going to places I'm never going to go back to. And so now I've, I've become, I've made it more of a habit. If I'm camping, I'm camping a site. I'll walk around, I pay attention to like, well, what, you know, where's the sun? What time of day do I need to get this shot? Or like, if it's a location that I'm, I'm just not in the mood to do a photo or whatever, I don't have the right equipment. I'll snap pictures with my iPhone as reference to, so I remember like, okay, this was like three o'clock in the afternoon. This is where I was. This is what I was thinking of doing. And then the next time I camp, I kind of know, I kind of schedule myself like when to shoot it. It's now or never. <laughs> this is the sun. <laughs> Do it now. Um, 
And it's really helped, actually. It's helped, especially with the self-portraits, where I, I really think about the location and how my my being in the location, in the landscape, like, how do I want to look? Like, what do I want to do with my body? What do I want to be wearing? Um, how do I become part of the landscape? And that's really helped, too. It's just giving myself a little bit more time to brainstorm about it. So, yeah, yeah I'm a big scouter. I like the idea. Yeah, it's not something I, I really can do, I guess, too much. Um, yeah. Because I, the way I travel, it's far and wide so i end up using like google satellites (laughs) to find places and and other people's photos to steal them essentially and uh oh yeah no the reference that's a great idea yeah yeah Mm -hmm. how do you vanya i kind of know california like the back of my hand and i'm talking like north to south all the way and i still discover new things constantly during uh the pandemic Marley and I would take these little drives on random roads that I've never been on or I hadn't been on since I was a kid. And those were ended up being scouting trips. I would bring a camera just in case, but also every time I'm in my car or any time I go anywhere, it's a scouting trip. I've just decided that <laughs> the way that my brain works is that I want to shoot this at some point. And it could be because of the light or the weather or the time of year. It just, it just seems like I'm constantly scouting. It never stops. (laughs) It's always part of my daily life, no matter what. And it makes me happy. It's, it keeps me excited about photography. The past couple years, it's been quite interesting because I've, I've kind of uh, started following this guy around, Eric, and he does a really good job at scouting. And it's been kind of nice to just like <laughs> let go of the reins and let him just take us places. Let go and let Eric. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's been it's been really really fun. I, I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll just like drive and follow you into some random like the weirdest places, but. It ended up, you know, like Gates of Lodor where we went. Oh, I God. was just telling you that story, how it was so random because we we passed the entrance to it and then we had to turn around and it was like this red road and it was dusty and insane. And I'm just like, yeah, this is what we're doing. We're just going to – Marley was with me and she was like, what the fuck is – like she's like, what's happening? Where are we going? You know, like, oh, yeah, Eric's going to go murder us right now. I didn't tell you that. Like, yeah, we're just going to go down this dirt road until he stops. And so that's what we did. But then you just hit a corner and and you saw the canyon and you're like, what the fuck? Like, what is this place? It's so incredible. And I just, I have those moments. So that's why I trust him. I'm like, <laughs> all right, let's do it. Maybe it'll be something cool. <laughs> it, it might be. Sometimes it is. <laughs> yeah. So... One of the problems that I had on the road, especially at first, especially, you know, maybe the first week that I'm out is just exhaustion. You know, it's, it's not vacations for me are not relaxing. I don't, I need a vacation for my vacation. And so after a grueling day of hard labor and chores, this is what he wrote. There is no place in the immediate neighborhood level enough to hold our tent. 
borrowed a shovel from some of the section men and scraped out a space sufficiently large for the purpose. And when all was done, we're too tired that we slept on the tent instead of putting it up. So love it. Our, our vacations are, they're not relaxing. Um, no. Can you recall a day when you were just absolutely exhausted? Um, a lot, I feel like a lot of times when I'm exhausted, it's almost more from the pre-trip. It's not the actual trip. It's like, mm. I'm exhausted from what I just left behind because my brain is still kind of going and it's oh. like, I'm tired. Um, but yeah, I'm the same way. These camping trips for the most part are not relaxing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you look at photos and it's like, oh, it's so beautiful. And like, the sky is so nice. And I'm like, yeah, it was like a hundred and there was a bunch of wasps. And then I saw like a centipede. And <laughs> um, yeah, so it's, it's just a lot of um, nature information <laughs> coming at you. Yeah, that's like living in a city. They're always like, oh, it's so much stimulation in the city. And, you know, it's always everything's always happening. Like, yeah, that's nature, too, though. Yeah, for mm -hmm. sure. For sure. And it's I find that, you know, I do a lot of really short trips because mm -hmm. I can shoot out to the park. I mean, it's like three, four hour drive, but I'll just go for a night. If I go for two nights or three nights then I actually start to relax a little bit more into it. Yeah. Um, so I guess I should do that more. <laughs> it is nice to take a day off on your vacation. Yeah. It's nice. <laughs> I want to say if you guys don't follow Liz's stories during when she's camping, it's, it's amazing. Cause it's like, it's real. Like she will tell you the wasp story. She will tell you the rattlesnake that's living underneath her tent and she's going to leave it there. It's insane, but she will share those things. And it's, it's so refreshing to just like have someone just be honest and truthful about what's going on. I think that a lot of people, um, you know, like influencers, they glamorize like you know, oh, we're traveling, you know, in a car, in a van, and it's so nice. But really, it's like they're not telling you about, like, them taking a shit in a bag because they couldn't, you know, find a bathroom or digging a hole and, you know, the the tire that <laughs> deflated and, you know, the bad things because th that's part of it, too. Honestly, Vanya, I think sometimes I do that almost more to discourage people who always want to go camping with me. And I know, I know that they're going to be a drag. And so I'm like, yeah, that pretty photo that you see, like, yeah, it's a four hour drive and a lot of it's down a really rough, rough four wheel drive road. Um, you're going to be bouncing around. We're going to pee outside. There might be pooping in a bag. Um, there's probably going to be bugs and animals and dust and could be freezing, could be blazing hot. So I think I just tell the reality of it just because it's it's something I, I kind of enjoy. <laughs> like I kind of enjoy that there are these things that are like, 
it's just everything's like this adventure, you know, mm-hmm. it's like the little baby rattlesnake outside my tent. Um, I don't want that to happen again, but like, I was fine. <laughs> I think if, if I invite someone to go camping with me, it's, it's because I think they can handle me and not murder me in the woods somewhere. Yes. It's, it is also that I think I can deal with them, but I think a bigger part of it is I think they can deal with me. I learned a lot of things about myself um, while camping with Eric uh, as far as particular things that I guess I personally need mm-hmm. to not be a complete bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Okay. And one of those, the the major, it, it's really actually quite simple, but it can be hard sometimes. It's just water. Like I need water. I need like ice and for my water bottle. I like ice and that never, you know, like it's okay if I go a couple days without ice. I'm not saying I just like to have it. You know, if we're out there for two weeks, I'm going to want ice at least when we start. And I will literally have like three bottles of ice, like waiting to melt. So it'll be like nice and cold. Like I'm obsessed. Um, and then also water as in like a body of water, like something, I yeah. need a creek, a river, a lake, something to jump in because I am dirty and sweaty and gross. And there is this unfortunate thing that I have of, if I'm hiking or if I'm going somewhere, the, the bonus or the, the reward is water. Yeah. I've, I've learned that with you. It's not for me. I'm very desert bound. So like the idea of like, Oh, we have to end with water. Like, Oh, good luck. Yeah. And it's, (laughs) it's, I feel bad, but it's like, I can go a few days without it, but they're, there has oh. to be water at least every day. Two days. Every day. Every two days. <laughs> every day. Yeah, Vanya, I I want to take you camping out here, but that might be a, that might be a problem. I'll just have to bring a shower. Well, so when we were in Kansas, it was like super hot. Yeah, I keep saying Kansas. Um, he drove by, and I think I've said this story like five hundred times, but it's my favorite story. Uh, we drove by this like kid park. It was a kid water park. And there was like two like four-year-olds playing. It was on like a one really side. small town. I mean, this was like the water park is that's being very generous. It was a okay, yeah. It was a it was a tiny little place with like water fixture. Maybe type fifteen things. feet by fifteen feet. Yes. Yeah. So I put my bathing suit on and I just like turned the water on and I like, you know, 38-year-old woman in the middle of Kansas with like tattoos all over my body and just pushing the button over and over and this water just dumping on me. And I'm just like, oh God, this is so amazing. And we were running late, <laughs> but I knew that, you know, we if, if this didn't happen, I might not survive the day. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's it, so funny. It like refreshed me and I was like back to normal again. I like dry up or something. Something's wrong with me. So I kind of want to wind this down, but I want to impress upon people that I, I, it's it's these aren't like war stories. These aren't traveling isn't a terrible thing. No, it's and fun. It's it is it's super it's, fun. It's all part of it. And I think I think we all would shoot differently if we didn't 
do this? Oh, for sure. I think the freedom of camping or just road tripping and alone and camping. And I think that sense of like, well, I feel like a kid. I'm like, Ooh, I can do anything I want. I can eat this whole tube of chips and I can just drive around mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. I can, I can do whatever I want. And even if I'm with a friend that I enjoy being with, it's, it's still very fun, but it's just different. You know, there's just somebody else to consider like, oh, maybe we should actually eat lunch and not just, <laughs> right. you know, snack around or, you know, it's just con- considering somebody else. That's yeah. tough. It is tough. <laughs> I've been such, I, I've camped my entire life, but I've always camped with my family or, you know, somebody. And just recently I started camping by myself for the first time ever. And a lot of it had to do with like guilt. Cause I was like, well, I should bring like, you know, some, I should bring Marley with me or I should, you know, I shouldn't do something on my own, which is ridiculous. <laughs> and I've learned my lesson and I've been doing these, these trips more often. And, and honestly, it's, it's been not only amazing for my photography, but also my confidence just as a woman out there. Um, I think the first solo trip I took, I cried uh, because I was like so happy and excited to be like doing something. It was just like the sun was coming up and I was just like, this is fucking amazing. You know, like I was just like having a moment. But I needed it. Like I, I needed, there was like so much weight on my shoulders and my heart. And it was like, this is the time for me to just relax. And if I get a shot, cool. If not, whatever, like it, if you camp, you're going to hit like roadblocks, you're going to hit bad things are going to happen. Weather's going to be bad. Something, you're going to forget something, something is going to go wrong and you're going to have to work through that. And that is the attitude that I bring with me. And that's the attitude I bring with me when I'm shooting as well, because it's the same thing. Shit happens. Like you accidentally opened the back of your camera and you lost like an entire roll of film. It's like, you can't really like, be extremely pissed and just go home. Like, you're like, okay, like start it over or whatever. You just kind of have to roll with the punches. And honestly, like that's probably a good way to just live life in general. (laughs) Yeah. The change in perspective. I I totally agree. I think um, I'll go camping, even if I look at the forecast and I'm like, Ooh, that looks like that could be potentially bad, but I'm like, well, it's going to be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll go out. And I think that I'd rather have memories that are like really interesting. And like, remember that time that there was like a dust storm and everything was tan, like the sky was tan and the sun was muted. And mm-hmm. um, I, I just, and even if I'm, if I do shoot during those times and I get photos I like, I've got those memories associated with them. And it's just so much more fun to think about. Mm. If everything was always great, that's too boring. Yeah, the, you, you tend to remember the hard times, but you remember them almost fondly because you figured yeah. out, or at least made it out alive. You figured yeah. them out or survived it. One of those yeah, two. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and also just the what you were saying about the 
the uh, the dust storm and stuff. It's things like that I've noticed with photography, especially with photography. If the weather is really bad, people tend to stay indoors. But some of the most amazing pictures are taken when the weather is insanely crazy and scary. It's because it's interesting. Not a lot of people are out taking those pictures. It's like every if everybody could take those pictures, it would be boring. So kind of putting yourself out there in maybe not the best situation sometimes, but always obviously find what your limit is. Um, that's when you're going to get the most interesting shots. Well, you mentioned fear, and I want to wind up this with talking about that. Um, me being a white man, there isn't a lot to be afraid of out there. <laughs> you know, it's just how it is. But there is still some. There is still a little bit of fear. But how do you, both of you, handle fear on the road and camping? I'm not afraid very often, I think. I mean, really, yeah, I'm trying to think. I really think the last time I actually felt scared was when I was an idiot and listened to Salem's Lot and then saw the <laughs> eyes in the middle of the night. I mean, that was just, it was, and it was absurd. You know, it was like, why am I out here afraid of like a Stephen King book about vampires? <laughs> like, that, it is a scary book. Some, it's it's scary and I wouldn't be scared at home but I was like, "Ooh, I'm out in the middle of nowhere. It's all dark, it's windy, it's like creepy. This the moon is creepy." So it was almost like this weird fear. It was just kind of dumb. I don't <laughs> really I don't really fear I don't really have a lot of fear, I guess. Yeah. I'm afraid of the dark. You are. Um but it, I would say like in a healthy way, like I could just, uh, it, there's just something like, it's like when you're walking upstairs, you have to like run up the stairs because it just feels, or you're going down a, a hallway, like you just feel stuff. Like I feel that. And that's sometimes hard to deal with. But for the most part, um, if I feel unsafe, then I will leave Yeah, and I will find somewhere else to stay. Uh, I have pepper spray and bear spray in my car. If I need to use it, I've never had to use it. I hope I don't ever have to. When I'm with Marley, I will just start talking to her about like the most random things that are happening at that very moment, because I'm trying to get her to see how my brain is working. And I think it's just a natural response that women have. I see what's happening everywhere in my peripherals, um, who that person is, how many people are in that car, um, who's camping over there. Why is that guy sitting there like staring at me? Things like that. So like, I'm very aware of what's happening all the time and I'm pretty good at making sure that I have like somewhat a clear communication with people at home on where I will be And if things change, they will know that I will be somewhere else. My camping is, it's so remote. I don't see anybody. So I don't fear other people. Other people do, like, I totally understand that. If I was in a campground, oh, yeah, I'd be looking at every, like, sketchy person or, like, (laughs) mm -mm. Isn't it weird how you can be in the middle of nowhere by yourself and that's not as scary as being in a campground with other people? A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. It's good to get a lay of the land uh, when you when you're in a campground. You know, kind yeah. of do do a loop or two, walk around. You know, <laughs> yeah. kind of kind of make eye contact with people and just kind of not really get to know them, but get to know <laughs> where they are. I guess. If somebody rolled up on my remote campsite, 
I would be a little freaked out. Yeah, I'd be like, well, yeah, that would that would be scary because you're yeah. like, obviously, people that are out there want to be alone. Yeah. 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 Well, I guess that <laughs> sort of covers it. We did a little bit on photography. <laughs> I would say so. I think the whole thing is is photography. I mean, this is how we shoot. So have you ever camped without shooting? No. I mean, when yeah. I was a kid, yeah. I mean, I can't, yeah, I can't even imagine. I, I think I'd have an anxiety attack. I, I just I wouldn't just do it. Didn't, yeah. Yeah. It gives you, it, it gives purpose to your trip. It gives you a, like something to look forward to when you wake up in the morning, I guess. And I think when people are camping, they're, they have something, they have some sort of purpose, whether it's like relaxing, reading a book in a hammock or writing or hiking, just something you know if it's visual or tactical it's something and i think that obviously is what bonds us together is photography and being able to take a hobby on the road is amazing it's so great not yeah. not a lot of hobbies you, you know it's not like you can you know sew a sew some pants on the road or anything i that, mean i guess that, you, that great american hobby of sewing pants you know like quilted <laughs> in the back or something but <laughs> You can't do a lot fun. of model railroading on the road. It's true. <laughs> yeah, it would be kind of strange. So I, I guess it's uh, it's insane how much you can discover in a place that you already thought you knew. Yeah. Like you were saying you're For camping sure. out in um, the park that's about three or four hours away from you, Liz. And I'm assuming that you're finding new places constantly or you're seeing things in with different eyes throughout the years. For sure. Yeah. And Eric. I think that's, yeah. And well, Eric, you're all over the place. He's kind of going in the same area, but constantly finding new things to shoot too. It's just, it's, it's kind of amazing to, to like have a favorite place, but also be able to draw in and be inspired by that place still over the years. So yes, I agree. Pretty neat. Well, I guess that's a good place to end. So thank you, Liz, for dropping by and hanging out and talking us talking to us about camping and, and shooting. And we hope that uh, this inspires some people to get out there. We got a lot of public land out there and especially in the West. So grab a camera, grab a tent. If you have questions about it, um, I'm always open for, for uh, being asked too many questions about camping. <laughs> Me <laughs> too. I do, so <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> feel free. <laughs> It's something that we all are very passionate about. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, this was fun. Thank you so much, and we will talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Well, after all of that, we still have some zines to review. We do enjoy our zines, so can't really give those up. Vanya... Definitely not. No, God, no. <laughs> that'd be that'd be stupid. What have you got for us? I have Elgato's new zine, Lost Coast Land. Oh, that's Robert, who for some reason somehow did not win whatever we were doing with the answering machine. <laughs> yeah. Well, he probably should have won. Honestly, the zine rules. I love it. I was so excited to get it. Obviously, we I took a little break and I'm back with a zine review. So uh, first one is El Gato's. And I just wanted to 
get right into it. He, uh, he, he invites us in with a very magnifico introduction. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, it's very, like, inv- it's inviting. It made me smile when I read it. Um, just hearing his passion for f- photography is something, I, you know, we all share. So, yeah. it's familiar and it and it feels good. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> Robert is very talented as a photographer. And to see, not, I mean, I've, I have his Japanese trip. Uh, zines that are just like absolutely stunning and incredible. But I think this zine was really important for him um, because it's kind of just more of his small outings in his local area where he is getting out and chasing light around because of the love for photography. (laughs) And I think that's important for all of us to kind of, you know, practice, practice these things that um, not only we enjoy as hobbies, but as art and, you know, for our mental health, everything. So uh, really, really fun. It's a kind of mixed bag of self-developed black and white images with a slew of different cameras uh, ranging from the 40s to the 70s. Ooh. My favorite uh, film emulsion or actually section in this is probably the expired T-Max 400. Uh, you don't have it, so I will... <laughs> I do not have it. It's sad. I said, Fucking hell. She's showing me on, on a video screen here. Um, wow. Yeah. This looks like something that I would absolutely adore. Yeah. It's yeah. it's a great, it's a beautiful zine. It's really nice. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy it. Uh, I feel incredibly lucky that he sent me a coffee and um, it's just like something special. Like I desperately yearn for the misty <laughs> fern-covered lands of the redwood forest and flipping through the pages is kind of a be- like a step back uh, to home. And um, I mean, obviously, Humboldt County is just south of Del Norte, so really close to where I live. So it just like holds this special place. <laughs> and when I flip through the pages, there's like a familiar, like a familiar look and feeling that, um, I get, it just speaks to me in a very like specific way. Um, like there's this photo of these children, like joyfully boogie boarding. And I think it's at college Cove in Trinidad. And I say that because I'm pretty sure I used to walk out to the little island (laughs) that's out in the photo uh, to watch the sunset. Like when I was a teenager, it was just like something we used to do. Uh, And these kids are just like boogie boarding and looking like they're having a blast. It's a sunny day, which is probably like one of those rare sunny days that you get up there. And I just know that that water temperature is probably like 55 degrees because I was that kid up there, like wanting to just play in the ocean and desperate enough to where you're just like, well, you know, after you numb, like you can't feel it anymore and you're fine. And then, you know, you can play. (laughs) So, yeah, I do remember that. And I'm just like, oh, my God, that water is so cold in their bathing suits. It's insane. So good for them. Um I also like the small little musings and it has like these little relatable qualities 
uh, that he picks off from gardening and, and like tending gardens and the connection of like sowing seeds, you know, in a garden to the film photography community. So him creating this zine, sharing his images, maybe not just because he went somewhere, uh, but he's out there on a regular basis. And this is, I think it's from 2019 to 2022. This scene has kind of got a mix of, of, you know, years of some of his photography. And it's just really neat for him to kind of share it with us and give back to the community. Cause it really is the one thing I, I, I got from this the most was the community part of it. Like how important it is to kind of speak with people about it and invite people in, make it like accept others into, into this community <laughs> and not be like a dick, basically, you know, be nice to people. Don't tell people their pictures suck or whatever. Just like be helpful and, and kind and inviting because I think the one thing that we all kind of have is that maybe strangeness of being obsessed with like something so silly as like an analog camera. Uh, so yeah, we should just uh, tend to, to those relationships. Yeah. And how does one get this zine? I don't know. <laughs> okay. Well, you can go to Etsy and his store is Senor Meow, Senor Meow art photo, which makes some sense. Thank you. Yes. And it is six fifty, which is probably way too little for what it is. And it's just a beautiful zine. She's showing me photos of it here, at, you know, and it's really beautiful. Yeah, definitely, definitely something I wish I had. So <laughs> there we are. That's how you Thank get it. Thank you. Thank you. And you get those other zines there as well. Now, what you got for us? Well, I have a zine called Off Season by Ralph Brandy. We've, we've been sitting on it for a little while. Well, this scene is unique in two ways for me. First, it's photographed entirely on Polaroid Chocolate 100. And that happened before I got into, well, it's film photography again. And so the way he describes Polaroid Chocolate, I didn't look this up, but I'm just going to trust him on this one is that when Polaroid was ceasing production of their crack and peel, their peel apart photos, they I guess, took a bunch of, remember when you were kids and you went to the, to the skating rink and you went up to the concession stand and you said, make me a suicide. And they took like a little bit of soda from each of the fountains <laughs> and put it together and you drank it because why not? So that's how it looks like Polaroid did their chocolate 100. I don't know if this is true, but that's the impression I got. So- this is, I guess the chocolate color is the death throes of crack and peel before Fuji picked up the torch. Mm. Second, that was the first. Second, all of the photos are shot in the off season, thus the name, at various beaches on the Jersey Shore. So for most, this would be kind of a weird thing to shoot, right? And you, I, I grew up going down the shore like every year, going from Pennsylvania to, to Maryland usually, but often in Jersey. We're mostly Ocean City, Maryland. But we did Seaside Heights, Ocean City, New Jersey, Asbury Park, even for some reason. I'm not sure why we went there, but, but we did. And I've got all these countless stories of summer loves and broken hearts, mostly my own, and all up and down the mid-Atlantic seaboard. <laughs> but that's not what this is about. So much long, many years after that, I discovered the 
off season. So on various early spring and late autumn trips to Jersey, I'd stop off at Seaside Heights in Wildwood where there'd be like snow drifts on the boardwalk and everything was closed up except for like a locals only restaurant or two. And it was always beautiful to me, everything frozen. Even on like warm winter days, everything was still shut down. So I had this weird, like it looks like summer, but it's not. Mm -hmm. And so Ralph and his Polaroids capture this atmosphere perfectly, absolutely perfectly. Some of his shots, like the Belford Harbor, they look impressionistic, but sort of like, well, sort of like the, the photos that we've been looking at with Imogene Cunningham, kind of like her older stuff. It, it looks like that, like very faded, very out of, out of, I want to say out, soft, I guess. And like I said, impressionistic. Others like those at Beach Haven are cold, which is weird for brown, but it's like a cold brown and very contrasty. And I recognize some of the locations at Seaside Heights. A lot of this is brought back like a lot for me. And I really, I, when I first got it, you know, we have, we get, we get, I got a lot of, and it kind of sat there a little bit. And I was like, okay, I'm going to get to this. I'm going to get to this. I'm going to give it some time. I didn't really even know what it was. And then one day I, I picked it up and I started leafing through it. And I go, oh, holy shit. I know these places, which is weird for a zine. You know, mm-hmm. I know these places. I've been to these places. One of the places at Asbury Park I'd photographed. So mm-hmm. I was very happy with it. I, I absolutely loved it. Um, it's so interesting that we both got zines where we're very familiar w- w- with very familiar places yeah, where we both odd. recognize the place. Yeah. Also, um, Manhattan Beach in the fall is my favorite because it's basically summer because it's always hot. Well, yeah. But everybody's back in school and it's just oh, it's the best. <laughs> <laughs> so I understand that. Ralph's photos span over a decade, and I assume there's more. I mean, I can't, I can't just, this can't be everything. And this is called issue one, so that's promising. And I think in the introduction, he calls it a series. So nice. here, here's hoping, please, please make more of these. And everyone out there, um, pick this up so we can all make this happen. He is at There Is No Cat on Instagram. You've definitely, if you're listening to us at all, you've definitely heard his voice before on the answering machines. Yes. There Is No Cat on Instagram. And I I think it comes in at $8. So yes. All Through a Lens is brought to you by our lovely Patreon subscribers. Patreon helps us pay for hosting books, our newspapers.com account, for research, our audio equipment, and much, much more. We'd like to thank our subscribers for their support. We couldn't do it, obviously, without you. Yeah, if you like bonus episodes, including, well, we got to do one for this month, uh, full-length interviews. Uh, and this episode does not have a full-length interview. It has me reading the uh, uh, William Henry Jackson <laughs> diary, all 24 pages of that section of his diary in, in total. It takes about an hour. It's it's uh, It was a fun read. It was really fun to do. And we've got a lot of extra nonsense there. We, we want to do more extra nonsense. I like nonsense, especially extra nonsense. It's my favorite kind. We've got three different levels of support, with the cheapest being less than a buck an episode. You can always give more. So head over to patreon.com slash all through a lens for more info.
Anya. Mm-hmm. Well, we are winding down a little bit here, aren't we? Uh, we sure are. We are. <laughs> what does your next week look like, photographically speaking? Well, I was talking to my brother about the Rolly Marine. Um, I got some good advice uh, from Dave, who made my water housing, and he said to talk to an engine guy. <laughs> so I have a family of mechanics, and I was like, hey, let's uh, make a new gasket for this thing. So uh-huh, yeah. I will slowly be um, taking apart <laughs> the camera to <laughs> I mean, the housing to get it uh, in working condition. It's so exciting. It's just the most beautiful thing you've ever seen in your life. It probably weighs like 45 pounds. Oh, easily. Yeah, it's, it it's is huge. a monster. It's so ridiculous, but I'm absolutely in love with it. It's just, I just can't like stop staring at it. <laughs> I love it so much. So I might, I might marry it actually. <laughs> So yeah, that's that's kind of it. Um, more tin types. Uh, I think, like I said, Alan's going to come over, so I might get a portrait of him. Nice. Uh, we are still. I'm. I'm still trying to work out a uh, date to go see the Imogene Cunningham exhibit. So hopefully, I'll be posting about that pretty soon, so we can kind of see if anybody wants to come and join me, because I'm really, really excited, and I'm kind of trying to convince Eric to fly down. So. I would like to. Let's let's see if we can make that happen. Yeah, that would be really, really awesome. So, yeah, just uh, tons of photography stuff, and then boring taxes and work and, you know, a whole bunch of other nonsense. Oh, and Marley's getting braces. Oh, let's make fun of her. <laughs> It's going to be so exciting. So, yes. How about you? What do you got going on? Well, I already did my taxes. <sighs> I do I do my taxes I the roll. first day you're eligible to. Oh my god, I'm you're fat. like the Ned you're like Ned Flanders. Oh, I'm exactly like Ned Flanders. <laughs> 100% in every way, every way possible. Uh, I am I believe I'm shooting Friday a little bit, which will be Ooh. before this podcast's posts anywhere and then this coming weekend i will be taking a day trip i think to eastern washington so that's it probably won't get a zine out of that just gonna do a a driving around trip i honestly don't know i'm I'm not in a rut or anything i don't think i don't think i am no you're you're kind of playing with lenses right now it's it's i am playing with it's been kind of fun to Mm -hmm. hear about all your little new projects and how you're going to stop down your shutterless lenses. Oh, yeah. Well, I have. I've, I've made a little push-on attachment where I can screw on filters, including ND filters, so mm-hmm. that I can throw on you know an ND filter that, that slows your camera down by 10 stops. No, that's amazing. I want to see how you did that, because that actually does sound very interesting. Oh, it's wonderful. Um, it's It's well, long story short, I you know the the rubber collapsible lens hoods. Mm-hmm. Well, inside of them there is a metal collar mm-hmm. that is this that is threaded. You know, it's mm-hmm. your, your thread size. So I take the rubber off and I have the metal collar, and then I put a step up lens on that to go to my desired uh, filter size, just seventy seven millimeter. And around the uh, the original the in, in the initial collar, I put foam, like window foam, so that I can slide it on and off of the lens very easily, but not hmm. too easily. You want it to have some friction so it holds it there, holds it on there. And then I got a an old lens cap, like an old brass lens cap that goes over the whole thing. 
It's an 80 millimeter lens cap. And it goes over the whole the whole thing and it works. It just works. I don't know if that makes any sense whatsoever, but um, well, okay. We so say you are, it's, let's just make it super simple. Like a, you're shooting a hundred speed film, sunny okay. 16 and you're shooting four by five with this lens. Okay. Can you shoot a hundred speed film with it with yeah. the ND filter on and the 10 stops? Well, essentially, you know, you'd be shooting sunny 16, right? So that would be one hundred just for easy math, one one hundredth of a second at f sixteen. Now mm -hmm. you can't take the, you can't pull the lens cap off and put it back on in one one hundredth of a second. So you need to use ND filters. So from going from one one twenty fifth of a second to you know ten stops slower, that's eight seconds. Oh, so that's easy to do, right? Yeah. So yeah. I can load it up with one hundred speed film, shoot it out in the sun, pull off the lens cap, count to eight. Now you do have to take into account reciprocity failure, but, or don't, you know, I mean, it's, who fucking cares? It's, I mean, yeah. I, come on. Just So technically double that if no. it was reciprocity? It, 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 well, that depends on the emulsion. You know what? Don't do it unless you absolutely know that you need to. So I probably would do eight and then I'd probably do another one at 10. <laughs> do, you know, I mean, yeah, do like 10, maybe, maybe, maybe 12 seconds if you really are feeling it or just like count slower. I don't know. You're counting. It's not you science know, at this point. So, it is. And I am a terrible counter. I do I, not I, I bet you can make count. it to eight pretty good. No, I can, but it's just too fast. Okay. Well, do marshmallows. <laughs> I need to do marshmallows. I think the Mississippi, I'm like, Mississippi, Mississippi. <laughs> like, I'm like super fast. I'm like, this is not, this isn't working. <laughs> marshmallow. So that's what I'm <laughs> planning on doing. Well, Marsh. I've done to some small extent. I did that on our last dev party. That's how I took those photos. Ooh, and speaking of dev party, we will be <laughs> finally using our FX1 that's been sitting <laughs> in a box. I haven't even opened the box. It's oh, in a photographer's formulary it's a, box. It's just been hanging out. It's a weird developer and we'll get into that. Yeah, I think we're going to have to actually like photograph it a stop faster. Yeah. <laughs> or it was 100 speed, we'll know. shoot it at 200. Yeah, it's it's weird. And there's there's like there's some weird like homeopathic thing to it. We'll oh, get into no. all of it. Oh god, it's a real pain in the ass. We'll get into all of that bullshit on Dev Party. <laughs> I mean, if we get around to doing FX1, there's always the chance that we won't. I know we could just keep continue to say that we're going to do it. We've been doing that for months now and we were very know. sorry. Totally very sorry. I don't think we, no, we're not. <laughs> Come on, don't lie. We're not sorry. Is there uh, anything else you'd like to lie about, Vanya? <laughs> uh, I would have to say uh, thank you for listening to All Through a Lens. If you'd like to contact us, we're at allthroughalens.podcast on Instagram. By email, it's allthroughalens.podcast at gmail. And we're at allthroughalens on Twitter. You can also check out our show notes at allthroughalens.com. Vanya is at Surf Martian. And Eric is at conspiracy.of.cartographers. Both on Instagram. And speaking of Instagram, make sure to hashtag your stuff. Hashtag all through a lens podcast to be featured. You can find our episodes on Spotify as well as on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and wherever the hell you found this podcast. Just, just go there again. Subscribe and leave us a review. The music you're hearing now is from Last Regiment of Syncopated Drummers, which you can find at lastregiment.com. And thank you all so, so much for listening. We will see you at the next dev party. 
We love you. Bye-bye. Oh, Vanya. Yes? Do you uh, want to go out and shoot? Fuck yeah, I do. <gasps> Let's go. Marshmallow, 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 marshm